Society of Fandoms. I am your co-host, Dorkish Malorkish. I'm here with Matt and Mr. Wrestling Six, who's making a guest appearance for this show. You can normally catch him on the 20 by 20 crew over at 20x20crew.com. He is a guest on our show tonight for the fandom we are discussing tonight, and that is the one and only Nightmare on Elm Street. The three of us are all big fans of the franchise, definitely the first one in general. Hello, guys. What's going on? What's up, brothers? Nightmare on Elm Street came out uh, November 9th of 1984, and according to IMDb.com, several people are hunted by a cruel serial killer who kills his victims in their dreams. While the survivors are trying to find the reason for being chosen, the murderer won't lose any chance to kill them as soon as they fall asleep. The original budget for this movie was only $1.8 million, which for that time, in the way of horror movies, that was huge. That seems pretty large for yeah, a horror movie. Yeah, that was a huge budget budget for the film, and then uh, they made they made uh, a little more than that. Uh, they grossed a little over $25 million at the box office, almost making their money back immediately that week. Robert Shea, who was head of New Line Cinema at the time, was quoted as saying he knew he had a hit on his hands when Roger Waters of B-movie fame, especially Pink Flamingos, had called him and he apparently went to go see the film the first showing, a 10 a.m. showing the day it opened in Baltimore where he's from and he immediately after the movie he called him, he called up Robert Shea and told him you've got you definitely have a hit on your hands and he apparently took that as the gospel coming from him because he knows his stuff. He's he's a big fan of stuff like this, and he knew he knew that uh, they were gonna have a lot of su- success with the movie. During production, Nike gave a bunch of free shoes to, for the project, you know, for the filming, which I found that pretty interesting, especially what Nike has grown to become these days. Uh, this was back in 1984, so I'm trying to picture where they were at with Michael Jordan. I think it was probably at the very beginning of his his partnership with Nike, if not before. I totally agree with that. So, I mean, it, just to give you a, a frame of frame of time there. Maybe it's my fault. Most of the clothes were from Kmart, according to Wes Craven. So, there you go for all you either Kmart or non-Kmart fans. But K- Kmart was a big deal back in those days. I Absolutely. Mean, as, as far as clothing retailers and they're things still, like that. They're still so, hanging around. Yeah. They're trying to. Yeah, they're trying <laughs> to hang around. But uh, speaking of clothes, it, it's also noted in the director's cut from the 1999 box set that Heather Loggenkamp was known to sit there and actually wear Johnny Depp's jeans during the filming of the, the movie uh, because of the production crew. They would always get their jeans mixed up. And so there were days... <laughs> there were days when... She was wearing his jeans and vice versa. They didn't really figure it out right away until it was kind of too late. And they just kind of <laughs> went with stains. it. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, somewhere out there, there there's probably a few pairs of Johnny Depp's pea-stained jeans. And, and more than likely, Wes Craven's garage, which if uh, for those of you who don't know, Wes Craven kept a lot of the, the artifacts from, from the, the shooting of the movie there. He, he's, he's been known to keep all kinds of stuff. He even said that he might actually still have pairs of Nikes that were donated to the movie in his garage. The gardening tool that you see Rod with the first time you see him in the film is also a relic buried or was buried at this point in Wes Craven's garage. 
along with a bunch of other stuff. I know he, he said he kept a lot of the wardrobe, too. Maybe it's my fault. As a filmmaker, I could see that being a thing. I mean, you're, you never know when you'll use it again. I know he, he did reuse it, I want to say, for his return to the franchise with, what is that, The New Nightmare? New Nightmare. New yes. Nightmare. So, a little interesting tidbits here and there for the overall project. What were you guys doing? I, I don't think Matt was even born yet at this point. Not, not quite. So, Matt Matt was just a twinkle in his father's eye. Uh, <laughs> Mr. Wrestling 6, how about you? What were you doing back in, in 1984, around this time? 84 at this time, I obviously have not. I didn't see this movie. I was only four years old. However, I, I was born in 1980. I saw it when I was either six or seven years old. Okay, so not too far off. I don't remember when I watched this film. I was born in 78, so I was a little older than you, but I do remember watching it as a kid. That that much I do know, and it was fucking scary the first time I saw it. Again, you're dealing with you know nightmares. Everybody has nightmares, right? And boogeymen, and it's just one of those things. It's, this, this seems to resonate with so many people, especially us, because of that like universal language of nightmares and bad dreams and, and boogeymen in general. I think that's where a lot of this film gets its... Well, I think everybody can relate to it. Yes, it's it, it, everybody can relate to it. It's potency, there you go. It, it is pretty potent in, in the way of uh, scaring people, or at least it was. I mean, we're, we're kind of on a different plane of horror these days, being 2018, but for what it was back then, this was a huge deal, and it scared a hell of a lot of people. Absolutely. And still stands to this day. Yeah, and, and yeah, that's that's what keeps it around. It, again, it has that universal aspect of fear where everybody has either had a nightmare or a bad dream or has been afraid of the boogeyman at one point in their life. Well, that, that's exactly it. Because, yeah, I wasn't alive yet when this movie first came out. But, you know, by the time I've seen this movie, I, I had already have seen... The original Halloween, I've seen the first three uh, at this point, for sure, uh, Friday the 13th films, as well as others, The Exorcist, you know, other, so many classics. I think what stood out for me when I first, when I first saw Nightmare on Elm Street, keep in mind, I'm still, I'm probably, I'm, I'm, no, I'm definitely younger than 10 at this point. I couldn't tell you my exact age. Yeah, so was I. The one thing that, that always stood out for me is that you look at everything else, all those other films, and... As scary as they are, you know, for me, Halloween, the original Halloween, still to the, to this day, and I'm almost thirty years old. It, it still gives me the heebie-jeebies when I when I watch it. It's such a, it's such a great film. But for Freddy Krueger and and for the Nightmare on Elm Street, it was it was one of those things where it took away the the safe haven. You know, when you are when I when I'm asleep, I, I feel like I'm in a safe zone, and it took that away from 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 so many that that watched it. It was, well, what do you do? Because yeah, because where, where do you go? Where now? do you go? You can't you can't run from Freddy, because eventually he will get you. Because you have to sleep. It's something that you have to do, and it's something that you th- you think about sleep. You think of peacefulness, the end of the day, and instead you have this this guy, this monster coming after you, and it just took away every every safe feeling that you would have, even in a horror movie. It just stripped that away from you. I also think, too, think about the tough guys who are like, oh, man, if he got me in my dream, I would do this. Freddy has a way around everything because he's when you're, in, when you're dreaming, you're in his world, and he can turn that around on you any way he wants. Hello? I am your boyfriend. 
Wes Craven was originally inspired by three articles that appeared in the Los Angeles Times that dealt with Sudden Unexpected Death Syndrome, or SUDS, which is linked to problems with the human heart. A lot of it has to do with an enlarged heart and abnormal arrhythmiatic patterns in your heart. In a nutshell, what these articles covered were uh, Asians immigrating into the United States, and there were, I believe, a lot of Filipinos and Laotians who were basically dying in their sleep, and there was no rhyme or reason for it at the time, because back then, this is late 70s, early 80s, when, when the articles were published, I want to say like 78 to 81, if I'm not mistaken. You have, none of this is, is diagnosed, this is not known about. So to have something medically speaking, just not, like no one being aware of it, I mean, what do you do? How do you, how do you explain any of this? In, in their culture, they, a lot of it was chalked up to spirits. Spirits chasing after people in your dreams to kind of come and claim your soul for for lack of a better explanation They just kind of accepted it and then it started happening here in the States and because this is the United States and things are a little more advanced here Especially in the way of medicine, you know studies were were being done and whatnot and come to find out they have rechristened it something else but Yes, it has become known, medically speaking, as sudden unexpected death syndrome. It is linked to problems with the human heart. One of the things Wes Craven remembered from reading the articles was one of the kids was so afraid to go to sleep that when given sleeping pills by his parents and or doctor, he would fake taking the pills and then just discard them later. And then he also kept a coffee pot plugged in in the closet of his room. He would just drink coffee so that he didn't have to go to sleep and that lasted for about a week I want to say the actual the actual time was like five days straight he stayed up you know we all are human and you have to go to sleep so when they finally got wind of what was going on what happened they made him go to sleep and he didn't even last 24 hours after that he died yeah I think they found that he was taking the sleeping pills and putting them underneath his mattress yeah Exactly. So uh, this this was a this was a pretty big deal. Whether whether it was before this was diagnosable or, or after, uh, a lot of it is still not clear. Especially a lot of the research points to different types of this in different ethnicities. Uh, this actually might be more prone to Asian people, believe it or not. So that that's pretty interesting stuff. A lot of this information did get turned into a PBS documentary somewhere out there that is floating. I don't know. I've never seen that documentary. I don't know if either of you have. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it's called. I tried looking up information about it to no avail. If anybody has any information on that, you can you can reach out to us on our website. So sudden unexpected death syndrome is is a real thing. Again, at the time it wasn't necessarily diagnosable before we get any further this this actually hits home for me in high school i was uh friends with a kid named carlisle and carlisle it was roughly i want to say three months before senior graduation carlisle passed away so come to find out uh, this this is all a little it, it was like putting two and two together after the fact but in the weeks in the two and a half weeks leading up to to that point of him passing he had pulled at least two or three of us that hung out with him aside and talked about not being able to sleep and not wanting to go to sleep because he kept having these very vivid, very realistic nightmares of this 
this big black thing chasing him. And there was a couple times where he would wake up with marks on his body. I- I'm not saying again that there was some supernatural entity in the mix that was doing this to him, but I could imagine him at least, at the very least, getting banged, you know, banged around in his bed from all the movement and whatnot. But it, he was he was genuinely and sincerely scared the entire time he would talk to us about it. And I, I'll never forget it, those last two and a half weeks being around him, he was a much different person because for the most part, he was just a happy-go-lucky teenager. You know, he loved listening to hip-hop music and hanging out with his friends and, and just goofing off. And those last two and a half weeks, there was not Carlisle. Carlisle was much more focused on trying to stay awake, trying to stay awake in class, trying to stay awake at home, not wanting to go to bed, but still having to go to school. It just got to be too much, and he eventually fell asleep, and we, I got the word the day after he had passed. We were in school. One of our mutual friends had came up to me and told me that he had passed away in his sleep. His parents had no idea uh, what happened. And the interesting thing about it is, you know, we, we just spoke about this a little earlier where there might be a a link to Asians experiencing this more than other ethnicities. Carlisle's father was black and his mother is Japanese. So there's a little food for thought there. But that definitely hits home. And at the time, you know, I'm obviously caught in the moment and it's one of my friends and things like that. But uh, reflecting on it, yeah, you can't help but think of Nightmare on Elm Street. Absolutely. When when this gets brought up, every time it gets brought up. So yeah, this I think this is probably one of the bigger reasons why I'm so enthused with this movie. It's just it there's a story within a story in it for me. Moving on, the actual Elm Street name, as opposed to any other street name, uh, was actually used for a couple of reasons. Wes Craven's original job as a teacher was on in Elm Street before he got into the movie business. Wasn't it some kind of like a like a technical school, like a technology school or something? Yeah, like that? he he. It was like some sort of trade school. Okay. I don't remember what exactly it was, but yeah, it was a trade school. And then once he was in the movie business, and you know, obviously spitballing ideas and stuff for his project. He happened to remember that Elm Street was also the same street name that JFK was shot on. And he figured, you know, what what better way to kind of psychologically picket people than to to have such an infamous name for for the street. Yeah, very true. I mean, you know, besides those facts as well, it's a pretty common street name. If I'm not mistaken, uh, the the legacy documentary that you and I watched, they do mention that every town does have an Elm Street. It's very Americana, yeah, is what he yeah, said. Yeah, it's very Ameri- very American. I don't know. Do, I'm sure there's an Elm Street out here in our neck of the woods. Uh, there's got to be. Yeah, we're we're in the we're on the south side of Chicago. For those of you who don't know, but yeah, there's there's I know there's at least one in. I want to say Park Forest. I think there's one in Park Forest, which is a, a suburb <laughs> out here. Yeah, that makes sense. They they name a bunch of their streets after trees. Yeah, yeah so that makes sense. The character of Freddy Krueger is is a, a a little hodgepodge mix of different stuff. His name Freddy Krueger or Freddy Krueger comes from Wes Craven's childhood bully, who was of the same name. And then, uh, in the way of appearance, I guess other characteristics. There's a story Wes Craven tells where he was a kid. Uh, he was living in Ohio, I believe. And his apartment, or his his bedroom at least, wherever they were living, was on the second floor of, of the, the home or the, the apartment. He heard someone outside 
his bedroom window. And when he went to go look, there was this, I don't know if he was just a passerby or a homeless man, but the guy eventually noticed Wes Craven staring at him, and he stared back, and he didn't stop staring back. Wes Craven would go on to say, like, describe it as, the guy had malice in his face and such a delight in terrifying such a small child. And that's where the hat comes from, too. Apparently the guy had a similar hat on. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he did slowly end up, like, walking away from the residence and away from looking at Wes Craven, but he did it in such a manner to where it obviously stuck with Wes Craven this whole time. Well, along with that, too, after Wes, (laughs) a young Wes saw that and looked out his bedroom window. He got freaked out, went away from the window, looked, got back up in the window, looked, and he and this homeless guy was in the same position. Yeah, the guy was right still there at staring him. at him. That Holy is fucking shit, creepy. Right? I, I, don't, I don't know that I've ever had that happen to me, but yeah, I'd, I'd be pretty fucking creeped out. They ended up, uh, as, as another characteristic of the Freddy Krueger character is that he is a child molester. Yep. A lot of that gets downplayed for, for other aspects of the character these days, but originally... That actually got downplayed because at the time this was being filmed and then released, there was a pretty major uh, multiple child molestation case on the national news. Um, I don't remember whether it was coming out of California or it was somewhere else nationally in the United States, but they figured they didn't need any of that negative attention to an all to an already controversial horror film. So they kind of downplayed it. Although the, the characteristic did stay with Freddy Krueger, the character, I mean, they do mention it very briefly in the movie, but it's, it's not something that they highlighted. Very true. And I think when that stuff was really going on, if I'm not mistaken, I think it was like a school. It was a bunch of teachers doing this to kids. Oh, so it was teachers doing it to kids. I'm pretty sure that's what it was, yeah. Obviously, none of us here at the Society of Fandoms is uh, is giving the okay for any kind of molestation, but I think that amplifies the situation where you have actual teachers or adults that, that should be in charge of taking care of children doing this to, to kids. That's just, that's fucking horrible. And maybe that's why it had such a profound effect on them, like, kind of hushing it down for the film, if you think about it. Very true. So you've got you've got Freddy Krueger, you've got the, how, how was it referred to? He is the rock star of Boogeyman. Yes. He's yes. the rock star of Boogeyman. You have him, you have his hat, you have you know, have his trademark hat, you have his, his green sweater, red and green sweater, which was done on purpose. Those those particular shades of green and red were done on purpose after Wes Craven read a scientific article about how those two shades of those colors are very hard for the eye to process. And that's especially when they're next to one another. Yes. So that's why he made the sweater that color to kind of aggravate people's eyes as they're staring at him but another unique characteristic about this this man they call fred krueger undoubtedly is his glove for those again for those of you who are not familiar and you're listening about this for the first time one where have you been <laughs> and two uh we're talking about a very crude looking maybe semi-machine shop glove like a um a jersey glove with razors on each of the four fingers not the thumb at least not originally. For, for the first Nightmare on Elm Street, it was just the four fingers. They do show it at the beginning of the film uh, being manufactured in, in some sort of workspace. The glove actually kind of gave birth to Robert England, who plays Freddy Krueger in this film. His, his actual stance, his physical stance, because the glove had such a heaviness to it, he found himself naturally just dropping his one the one shoulder that he wears it on, which would be the right hand, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. So... 
he just went with it and used that as part of the overall physical characteristics of playing Freddy Krueger. And so if you go back and, and look, while you're watching the film, pay close attention to his, his the right side of his body and, and his right shoulder. More than more often than not, you will find it dipped, especially if he is standing in one place. Yeah, and along with him constructing that glove in the, the opening scene there of the movie, notice the breathing. And it's like, you know, it's almost like he's getting off like this heavy breathing, like he's getting into like he's fantasizing about what he's going to do to his victims. With it. Robert England was quoted as saying that the glove reminded him of a junior high shop project from hell and it looks like it too how cool is the glove the coolest thing ever cool. i have one <laughs> <laughs> uh do you know do you know what like the manufacturer of, of yours specifically do you remember when you got it i do remember when i got it, I got it as a birthday gift <clears throat> okay from uh, dark side paul for those of you who don't know who dark side paul is he is a friend of the show you can always visit our friends at dark side studio our friends over at dark side studio have fine high quality latex masks all year round so stop on over to dark side studio at a society of fandoms dot site slash fandom slash dark side studio and thank you for listening now let's get back to the show so Darkside Paul got you this glove, huh? Yeah, he, he had he had one for a couple years, and every time I came over to his house, whether we were just hanging in his shop or whatever, if it was laying around somewhere, I had to pick it up and put it on and play with it and, like, you know, chase one of his kids or the dogs. But, I mean, they weren't scared <laughs> because if you knew Paul, uh, he's he already beat me to it. So, But, yeah, so he knew how much I loved it, how much I loved Freddy. And I got it for a birthday gift one year. It blew my mind. And, you know, obviously I had no idea it was coming my way. And it still is, is in good shape as when I first got it. It's one of my most prized possessions. It's actually in my living room right now. My girlfriend's not too happy about that. but It is creepy to have it just kind of hanging out. <laughs> uh, my wife and I were at Mr. Wrestling's sixth house, I would say, in the past couple months. And she happened to be with me. And that and the E.T., that you have yes she she just it creep both of them creep her out to no extent why et uh you know what i don't know i <laughs> i haven't delved into that question with her i i i'm assuming she's had some sort of childhood trauma with with et at some point but yeah et creeps her out <laughs> but yeah the, the glove very cool a uh, very striking in appearance and it was originally the the original idea behind the glove was was craven was trying to figure out what kind of weapon this guy would use, this Freddy Krueger. He kind of eliminated certain weapons or, or certain certain other characteristics of his character from existing characters like Michael Myers and Jason Voorhees because he wanted his boogeyman to be to set up. He wanted it to be set apart. He wanted Freddy Krueger to be different. He started thinking and thought about what mankind in general have been afraid of the longest. So he did his research. He realized that one of the things that have, have always scared men and mankind are claws razor razor claws razor sharp claws you know whether it be from hunting as neanderthals or you know much much closer to to our version of of man these days but you know bears and and, you know wildlife in general so that's that was the inspiration behind freddy krueger's glove believe it or not yeah it's really interesting besides owning a glove do you have any any glove stories like any accidents with the glove? No, no accidents. I've I've always been super careful with it, whether it's around animals or kids. How sharp do you have the glove? It's not mega sharp. I believe like it's it's kind of like a strong sheet metal is what the blades are made of. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I think if I applied enough pressure, I could impale somebody in their gut. Jeez, test it out someday. 
<laughs> uh, I I have I actually have a story about about this glove. Not not Mr. Wrestling Sixes, mind you, but Freddy Krueger's glove. Uh, I was about ten years old. It was Halloween, and I was with my godmother and a bunch of my cousins. She had taken us out trick or treating in her neighborhood, and we get to a place over near a school, an elementary school, and right across from the elementary school, there's a park. And so there are these two obviously older gentlemen. I want to say they were at least early to mid-20s at at that time they were kind of running around stealing kids bags of candy and things of that nature the the one guy was uh, a tall lanky black guy and he had his face painted like a moon so like like a, like a very pale white but he had stars and and uh, maybe some lipstick if i'm not mistaken but the guy that was with him was dressed exactly like to the T as Freddy Krueger, glove and all. It, it so happens that he had dressed up so accurately. He walked up to us and was kind of being creepy around us all. And he took his glove and ran the index finger blade down the cheek of my cousin's face. It started to bleed. Right then and there, we knew this probably shouldn't be happening because my cousin kind of screamed out in pain like it actually hurt as opposed to it being a special effect and the guy kind of like just jaunted off took off and uh, they went around stealing more bags of candy later on that night uh, about 11 o'clock we are all at my godparents house my godmother's there with us uh, you know we're eating dinner and candy and whatnot on the local news the WGN Channel 9 News, they run a story about a guy who was incarcerated for purse snatching. He ended up getting away from the police. He escaped whatever little local jail he was in, and he was running around dressed like Freddy Krueger, complete with real, real razor claws on the glove. They showed a picture of, uh, like a sketch of what he looked like, and sure as shit, it was this guy. So, that, that's, that, was, that was my real introduction to... <laughs> To the, uh, to the glove, per se. There's one more very distinct characteristic about Freddy Krueger, and that's his skin. If I'm not mistaken, it's Luis Lazara, one of the special effects makeup artists on the crew. He he was kind of the father of, of the, the overall skin and, and the, the look of the makeup, at least in part, because obviously Wes Craven was the one to tell him, hey, I want this guy to look like a burn victim because of his background story but we need to make it look real. And so Luis Lazara took that and inspiration from photos, uh, like actual medical photos from the University of California at Los Angeles, UCLA. He took that information and one night he was sitting down to dinner out with some people and eating pizza, eating a pepperoni pizza, and just kind of started to play with the toppings to the point where it inspired him to use that. And so he took some of the pizza home that night and used the textures and whatnot to mimic burned skin. And so there you have it. The birth of Freddy Krueger's burnt flesh is, is partly in doing part to pepperoni pizza. <laughs> We'll do a quick rundown of, of the cast. Uh, we have John Saxon as Lieutenant Thompson, Ronnie Blakely as Marge Thompson, his wife, Heather Loggenkamp as Nancy Thompson, who plays the lead female role, Amanda Wiss as Tina Gray, Jesu Garcia as Nick Corey as Rod Lane. I know that sounds a little 
confusing there, but what happened with that was, so Jesu Garcia at the time was told by his agent that it was pretty much taboo for a Latino to be cast in, in such a such a movie, I, I'm assuming a horror movie, in, in most of most Hollywood movies those days. So he gave him the Italian-sounding name of Nick Corey. I don't know. I don't know how that sounds Italian, but to his agent it did. And it got him the part. So you have Jesu Garcia as his alias Nick Corey getting the part of Rod Link. Johnny Depp as Glenn Lance. For those of you who are not familiar, if you don't know who Johnny Depp is, Google him. <laughs> but this little interesting factoid is this was his first movie. Correct me if I'm wrong, Mr. Wrestling Six, but not only was this his first movie, he was a little older than all the other quote-unquote teenagers when he got cast because he was playing in a rock band, right? Correct. Not only that, that role was originally for Charlie Sheen. Charlie Sheen wanted three thousand dollars a week. I wonder what they actually got paid. That I, I couldn't come across that information. Nikes. They got paid in <laughs> Nikes and, and, and possibly women's jeans, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. How do you think this movie would have fared if we saw Charlie Sheen as Glenn Lance instead of Johnny Depp? Well, to me, there's really not much of a difference in, in each of those guys. I mean, they're both looking good-looking young dudes at the time. Yeah, uh, I mean... It wasn't... I'm sorry. It, no, no, It no. wasn't that... To me, it wasn't that big of a role either. I mean, we're comparing Giant Depp and Charlie Sheen. I mean, there's no comparison, in my opinion. However, for for this role, I, I wholeheartedly agree. It's uh, it's basically you're, you're, you're just there to die. At this point, and that's <laughs> that's that's all you that's all you're there to do. I mean, it's, it's not like we're gonna look back and say this is one of Johnny Depp's greatest acting roles. It's, I, well, I guess what I'm asking here is specifically if he's here to die, his death scene where he dies. Do you, do you see that playing out any any significantly different with Charlie Sheen instead of Johnny Depp? Either of you? No, I don't. Okay. Yeah, I agree. I I, I agree with that. I I think this was uh, this is a very universal role that almost anybody who had somewhat of a talent could fulfill and that's not disrespecting the 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 role that johnny depp played i just again it was you you have one sole purpose say a few lines and then you're gonna die actually there's a very interesting fact about that death scene that glenn has we'll get to that later we'll we'll break down the scenes later i promise getting back to the cast you have charles fleischer as dr king which for those of you who don't know that is the voice of roger rabbit wow yeah, I know that. I, obviously Roger Rabbit came way later, but yeah, he's the voice of Roger Rabbit. Uh, then you have Robert Shea as the newsreader and the KRGR radio announcer. The only reason I list Bob Shea here is because he is the head of New Line Cinema at this point, and he's the one that greenlit this project. This was their the studio's first motion picture deal ever, because prior to this, they were just a distribution company. And they were distributing um, films to college campuses, prisons, and places like that. And before this, their only claim to fame, believe it or not, was getting a hold of the, the licensing rights to Reefer Madden. And that was like what what got them on the map to begin with at all. Yes. And they were allowed to distribute that movie to, again, college campuses, prisons, places of uh, similar backing. So, But yeah, you have Robert Shea making a cameo here. And then, obviously, the one and only Robert England, who plays Fred Krueger. What can you say that already hasn't been said about Robert England? You and and I have had this discussion before, especially with the remake coming out in 2010. There really is no other one that should play 
Freddy Krueger. Am I right? I totally agree. I don't want to get completely off subject here, but no, please. I think Jackie Earl Haley did a great job. A lot of people don't think so. Mm-hmm. I thought he did a great job. Uh, but obviously, when you think of Freddy, you're going to go to Robert England automatically. Don't care who you are. That's what you're going to do. And he's done it for so long and, and for so many different sequels and whatnot and, and being through a lot. We're only going to cover the original Nightmare on this episode. But for future reference, go take a look and do your homework just like we did. And you'll see all of like the the disastrous amounts of bullshit and crap that he had to go through sometimes to play this role for this company. They ended up becoming, they, they got into this pattern where they wanted sequels, but they wanted them quick and they wanted them uh, under budget. They wouldn't necessarily do things that would make sense for the project, but those two criteria that they had to have. And I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing, especially if you don't have the money to begin with, but... At the same time, if he's doing the job and he's doing it well, accommodate the man. Especially, you know what? They were pumping out movies every year. Yeah. It for, wasn't a two-year gap like right, we see nowadays. It was every year. For a long time. The it was every year. Sometimes less than that. 11 months, 10 and a half months. So, very little prep time in between sequels. Absolutely. And you can't hook up this guy and give him everything that he needs. Because he's the face of this now. He's actually the face of New Line Cinema if you think about it. New Line Cinema is is often referred to as the house that Freddie built. Absolutely. So that that totally makes sense. Uh, And and they actually started the sequel really quick. I won't get into part two, but they actually started the sequel without him because they didn't want to pay him the money that he had asked for. So there's at least a little bit of footage with some other person playing Freddie in part two that wasn't Robert England. Speaking of Robert England, believe it or not, he was the one that landed the role, but before that, they had one other character actor who they wanted to employ as Fred Krueger, and that's David Warner. Now, if you're not familiar with David Warner, you might not be, but I'm going to I'm gonna give you a few of his laundry list of parts over the years because he is he's up there in age. But David Warner, who was supposed to originally play Freddy Krueger, ended up being caught in caught up in another project, and he couldn't. He ended up not being able to do it. It wasn't in his schedule. He he was the guy who played Ed Dillinger in Tron. If you're familiar, he was Thomas Eckhart in the Twin Peaks television series from 1991. He was the voice of Ra's Al Ghul in Batman the Animated Series. He was Lord Aslock in Doctor Who Dreamland, which was a TV miniseries for the franchise. He was also Doctor Wrecker in the Amazing World of Gumball. For, for those of you who know the Cartoon Network animation. And then he's also Professor Kavanaugh in The Alienist, which is actually on the air right now as we record this. Uh, fairly new yeah. fairly new show to, I believe, uh, TNT. TNT. I believe, yeah. So, but yeah, he's, he's, uh, he's, he's a very accomplished character actor. And I personally, I can't see anyone else but Robert England as Freddy Krueger, even with this news of David Warner. You don't think he pulls it off? Not quite the same, no. Mm. And, and I, I want to say part of it might be because of his age, but back, yes, it was. Yeah, back back then, I still think he he would have made somewhat of a Freddy Krueger, but not like Robert England has has played him out. So they they used the they they only used a few different places for location shoots. The film probably the most infamous we're gonna get to last, and uh, but we'll start with we'll start with the high school, which is John Marshall High School. And that's in Silver Lake, uh, California, which is a, a suburb of Los Angeles. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio was a former student of John Marshall High School. Hmm. 
for those of you who didn't know. There's been a plenty of other films uh, that have filmed there, even whether it be bits and pieces or entire movies. But to give you a few, you have John uh, Frankenheimer's The Young Stranger, which came out in 1957. You have Nicholas Ray's Rebel Without a Cause from 1955. Yes, the one with James Dean. You have Pretty in Pink, the seminal 80s movie with I believe Molly Ringwald if I'm not mistaken. You have Like Father Like Son. You have Buffy the Vampire Slayer the movie not the television series. The one with um, Kristen Swanson. Yeah, you have Gross Point Blank with John Cusack and then you have Grease. The carnival scene at the end of Grease actually happened on the fairgrounds over at John Marshall High School. So pretty Hollywood friendly place to, to shoot stuff. Then you have you have two you have two properties basically a street over from one another and that's Nancy's house. That's both of these are in Los Angeles and uh, Glenn's house. Which they're basically again they're a street over from one another. And the way they they were able to shoot some of this stuff, especially when they're talking to each other on the phone at night, they can actually see each other. In the shot from across the street so I believe the whole reason they used these properties was because that street in particular which is uh, Genesee Avenue North Genesee Avenue looked very Midwestern for being out in the middle of Los Angeles and so that's why they picked those properties and us being from the Midwest I, I think we pretty much agree with that sentiment that they do the houses do look very midwest very suburban in nature you have the katya institute for the study of sleep disorders which in all actuality is the american jewish university and that's on mulholland drive in los angeles so it was it was just a fake name for a fake institute the actual place is the jewish university there's a property in venice that was used it was actually the the street that wes craven lived on in venice that is the scene where rod gets arrested and that's why he chose it it was it was kind of like a convenience for them like hey i know the area let's just film it here you have the boyle heights cemetery D depending on how you want to look at it, there's actually two two separate addresses because it used to be one giant cemetery and now it's two now it's split into boyle heights and then the the Evergreen Cemetery. They're both in Los Angeles County. The Evergreen Cemetery part of this hosts a potter's field. For those of you know who don't know what a potter's field is, it's basically a designated area of a cemetery where they have unnamed graves. And there's quite a few significant Californians buried there, including Hugo Zucchini, the human cannonball, was a circus performer back in his day. Last but not least, you have the infamous Lincoln Heights Jail. I'm sure this has been covered in a plethora of places, especially for, for those of you who watch shows like Ghost Adventures and, and similar shows. But we're actually in the process of doing an episode on Lincoln Heights Jail for, for our sister program, Eldritch Travel. Lincoln Heights Jail is in Los Angeles, and it's actually the same venue or same location that was used in part inspiring LA Confidential the movie because of actual events that happened there. At the, uh, all of the boiler room scenes were shot at Lincoln Heights Jail. They did have to endure asbestos during filming. They actually used bee smoke because it was apparently safer for the actors. Uh, I'm not too familiar with bee smoke. I don't know if you guys are but that's what they used uh, for those scenes. And as we were talking about those boiler room scenes, if I'm not mistaken, you were Mr. Wrestling 6, you were telling me about an edit that I didn't come across in my notes about him being crouched down. Yes, the chase scene where he's going after Tina. He's got her in front of the fire there. Or 
she's in front of the fire and like it's kind of like a little room i guess there's a point where you see her walking towards the camera and you can see robert england crouched down like kneeling down behind her because eventually what he'll do is he'll jump up behind her and roar and grab her by the shoulders. Wes Craven would actually go back to that location to film for another horror movie he did, uh, Shocker. We have the movie playing in the background as, as we're recording this. We have a few timestamps we're going we're gonna to share with you guys. You can use just about any version, whether it be on DVD or Blu-ray. It's all the same cut of the film. The, the unrated version does not technically exist unless you have like a work print of, of the film which is like an unedited, unofficial version of the film. Every every home video release, no matter who put it out, is the edited version. So the, the only discrepancy there is like a matter of 8 to 12 seconds total that are added to the movie for the unrated version. And a lot of it was just uh, little small edits for the MPAA, which the Motion Picture of Asso Association of America, who didn't, you know, who thought, who took qualm with some of the the things that went on uh, namely the scene where Tina dies she falls from the ceiling onto the bed the MPAA did not want the audience to see her splash into all that blood they had basically like a giant pool of blood on the bed already for her to splash into to give a more of a gory effect to the scene uh, as her boyfriend Rod is in there in his skivvies if I'm not mistaken mm -hmm. and he gets blood splattered on them. So they made them not only take away some of the blood, but they cut away as she drops. So you do get to see her drop, but there's, I, I want to say it's like four seconds cut out. Right. So it, it's little edits like that. That's the only real, real different, uh, real difference in the two cuts of the movie that got released somewhere in some form or fashion. About 13 minutes in, Wes Craven, there's a, a scene where, is it Glenn? Glenn that can't sleep because... Is it Glenn and Nancy that can't sleep because Tina and Rod are having sex in the next room? Exactly. Uh, this was based on uh, an actual experience by Wes Craven. He was in Chicago at a get-together at some sort of party. He ended up staying the night, and the hosts of the party were there. He was in another room, but they were having sex really loudly, and he couldn't sleep. So he kind of just used his personal experience for inspiration to... To that part of the movie. Well, I think another part of uh, I think another reason why Glenn couldn't sleep too is because Nancy wasn't giving it up that night. She made True. It, she made it really clear that they weren't there for them. They were there for Tina. They were there for Tina, and apparently Tina. So was Rod. So was Rod. <laughs> and and his Rod. And his Rod. <laughs> uh, that happens about thirteen minutes into the movie. About fifteen minutes into the movie, there is a tooth that gets thrown thrown at glass or gets stuck in glass do you remember that is that the part where he's trying to get her attention i believe it yeah so it's supposed to be rocks being thrown it's supposed to be you, rocks you're thinking that it's rocks being thrown yeah and it's in, in this case it's an actual tooth and this is actually a reference put in there by Wes craven to roman polanski's movie the tenant uh where something similar happens Involving a tooth. I'm not familiar with that movie per se. I'm a little bit familiar with Roman Polanski. That's that's another podcast. <laughs> About 17 minutes and 35 seconds into the movie, uh, you get to see Freddy's claws spark 
when he, he runs them against one of the walls, wherever he's at. They actually achieve this special effect using a car battery. They hooked up the claws to a car battery. And obviously, it's done so that you can't see the battery or whatnot, but... Yeah, I think that was for the, the scene that where he's, he's got Tina in the alley there by the garage where his arms expand. Yeah, and they, they actually, if I remember, they, they actually had two two of the special effects guys, one on either side of the alley, mm-hmm. extending his arms like like a marionette puppet almost, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I guess they had like fishing poles, like fishing rods, and they were pulling them out. <laughs> and they were pulling them out slowly. And uh, Robert Shea was really concerned that it was going to look really cheesy, but it ended up not. Yeah, th- that scared the shit out of me. That, that was probably one of the first moments in the movie that scared the crap out of me. I think what helped that scene not look so cheesy is the darkness. Yeah, very much agreed. Darkness definitely helped it. Because, uh, I mean, you have not only did you have this new, unfamiliar character who's already batshit crazy and after you, but then he starts to pull off, like, unthinkable things like extending his arms all the way across an alleyway. You know, it's, it's not bad enough that he's after you and that he's got razor-sharp claws on his glove and he wants to kill you. Now he's, he's basically manipulating time and space. Mm-hmm. 37 minutes and 35 seconds into the movie. There's a Sam Raimi reference, and Wes Craven, it's a poster. I don't know what it is right offhand, but Wes Craven put it in there because he found out that, I believe, in Dead Alive? I might be wrong on that. Sam Raimi referenced one of Wes Craven's movies in one of his earlier movies. And so he just felt like, hey, this is kind of like a thank you for that, I'll do this for you. Oh, okay. Sam Raimi's also credited in the movie, too, in the end. Yes, as a, as a special thanks, yes. right? Yep. 47 minutes and 47 seconds into the movie, you have the Boyle Heights Cemetery on screen. Uh, this was also used in The New Nightmare, which was Wes Craven's return to the franchise. This would, That would have been, what, number seven in the line? Yes. Yeah, so seven movies later. And then 49 minutes and 47 seconds into the movie, uh, the nurse in that scene is actually Wes Craven's ex-wife, Mimi. Um, he felt the need to share that on the director's commentary. I'm happily married once. I already told my wife, I'm not getting married again, so no matter what happens, we better make it work. Cause I, I, w- I couldn't do that. I couldn't, I couldn't necessarily work with, with my ex, let alone an ex-wife. So if you make a movie, she doesn't even get a little spot, huh? If she's still my wife, yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> Quid quo pro there for you, huh? <laughs> and with that, we're going to take a small break here and pay some bills. We'll be right back. You can always visit our friends at Darkside Studio. Our friends over at Darkside Studio have fine, high-quality latex masks all year round. So stop on over to Darkside Studio at a societyoffandoms.site slash fandom slash Darkside Studio. And thank you for listening. Now let's get back to the show. Welcome back to a Society of Fandoms. We are talking about the original Nightmare on Elm Street. Freddy Krueger in all his nightmarish glory. We are big fans of. This has been something that has been with us since we were little kids. Uh, Mr. Wrestling 6 and I were just talking about the actual timeline of us when we actually first saw the movie for the first time. You said there was a correction to yours. You were probably about... I was more like 7 or 8. About 7 or 8. And I'm gauging that because my brother's 3 years younger than me. So originally I said I was six or seven. There's no way he saw that when he was three years old. 
he had to be more like four or five where he was I, able I to talk to have, about it. I had to have been around the same age, maybe maybe a year older, like eight. I'd say between the ages of eight and ten, because when that when that happened to us with the 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 actual like escapee from the jail and, and the razor claw, mm-hmm. it was it was big. It was still big in pop culture. It was it was big like it had just come out on home video, kind of big. Right. So that makes sense. Um, as Matt blatantly put it earlier, you know Johnny Depp and, and most of these characters are in this movie to die. That's their whole purpose, right. and uh, which is typical for a slasher film. The franchise of Nightmare on Elm Street has always made it very interesting on how each of their death scenes happen, and I think that's an understatement. Yes. In this one, in in the original here, you have Tina, played by Amanda Wiss, who was the first to die. In her scene, they used a revolving room. It was engineered by the carpenters on set, and it actually it actually turned. It turned all the way upside down. It was, it was just like a, a revolving circular room that was, you know, obviously boxed off so that it looked like an actual room in a house, but this was something new to them. The inspiration came from the movie Royal Re- Royal Wedding featuring Fred Astaire, which I want to say was like 1951, 1961, somewhere around there, where he's dancing in a revolving room, like on the ceiling, on the yeah. walls. Pretty funny part, yeah. Yeah, so... They used kind of the same uh, engineering in this scene for Amanda's death. And basically Fred Krueger drags her all over the walls, all over the ceiling as he kills her. And then she drops from the ceiling onto her bed into a pool of blood. Again, going back earlier in our uh, broadcast here, or our podcast here, we were talking about how the MPAA took out about four seconds of that scene because they were basically stating that it was pretty much over the top at that point in time. We laugh about it now because of, of how far the horror genre has come. They they had them take out those four seconds because they thought it was just like too much blood. It was too gratuitous when she dropped onto the bed and plopped onto the floor. So they made them not only take out the amount of blood that was on the bed and use less, but they also made them cut away in the scene so that you don't get to necessarily see her fall straight onto the bed. Which again, is it's pretty funny these days because... We're way beyond that in, in <laughs> when it comes to horror movies. Anything else to say about Tina's death scene that you would like to, to throw in there? Yeah, actually, before I even saw the movie, I had heard of... That was the first scene I had heard about. But, I mean, hearing about it and then actually seeing it for the first time, really no comparison. Like, I, I you know, I knew what happened, but, like, when I actually saw it, I was like, Wow. And plus, being that young too, you know, how do they do that type yeah. thing? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Watching as a kid again, I, I, as I said earlier, I I'd, I'd seen quite a few slashers, and so you've seen death scenes, you you see people dying, and then when you see it in that that manner, it was not only was it scary, but it was that shock factor of what's left of this girl at this point, and it was just something that I've never seen in a horror movie film at that time. I'm sure many many people felt the same way. Where does in this movie, uh, along with all the other death scenes, where does this rate for you guys? Mm. Is it your favorite? Is it your least favorite? Where would you rank it? It would pro- it would probably have to be my favorite out of the other ones. It shows the most. I, I say that I think the fact that it was number one, it it's, it stood out first or raised the bar. Which I don't I don't know if the other ones, the other deaths, quite 
reached that. But yeah, I, I agree. I, I think this would be my favorite one too. Again, it was that that media shock factor, and then overall, just comparing them all again, you saw so much of it. It was just like, again, what like how much more could you do to to a human body at this point? It was yeah, it was just an insane scene. It still lives to this day. I I agree with you guys that this. You know that it, it definitely holds a certain significance because this is the first major death we see in in the film on screen. You can't you don't you can't shy away from it. It's there. It happens. You know for the for, again for the time it was it was pretty graphic, especially for a, a major major motion picture. It's it's not my favorite, and I'll explain that in a minute. But it, it's up there. I, I definitely like it. I like the way they executed the whole revolving room is a cool fucking idea. To have her dragged on the ceiling and stuff, that blew my mind as a kid. I was like, holy crap. But I'll get to my favorite here in a second. Next, we have uh, Rod's death, played by Nick Corey, a.k.a. Jesu Garcia. Rod is in a jail cell. Uh, they had arrested him. He is alone by himself. Nancy comes in to the police department and begs and pleads with her father and, and his sheriffs to let them go check on Rod because they're pretty sure Rod's about to die. Much to his chagrin, he he lets uh, he says, "Okay, you know, let's go, let's go check on him to to ease your nerves." And they go back there, and sure as shit, Rod's hanging from a bedsheet. They actually shot this in reverse with him hanging, so that they could tie the bedsheet around and then slowly unwind it for the camera, so that when you see it on a camera, it's winding around his neck as opposed to not around. Uh, the first time they actually tried this, they used some sort of fishing wire or something akin to that. And it was not strong enough to hold him, and he fucking fell and crashed hard on the floor. <laughs> now he got pretty banged up, but they ended up pulling it off. They used some sort of wire inside the bed sheet and shot it in reverse. Something else pretty interesting with this scene is you're gonna see Rod, the character of Rod, crying in his jail cell as he's kind of figuring out what the hell's going on. That was not a part of the script or the scene. The story behind that is Nick Corey was doing a lot of drugs at the time and his life was pretty much in the shitter, or at least he thought so, even though he was doing a movie. And he he never comes out and says it in any of the commentaries, but he kind of pussyfoots around the idea that it was probably some sort of heroin. So no matter what he was doing, it was some sort of controlled substance. He was doing a lot of it and he just started to think about how shitty his life was and started reflecting on that. And that's what caused him to cry and break down in the scene. And they just went with it because it looked so natural. I thought that was pretty fucking interesting. I do it too. I mean, you know, <laughs> you're basically framed. There's no way you can prove that you didn't do this. And, and uh, you know, for all intent and purposes, you're high while while they're filming. <laughs> <laughs> so that's got to be really fucking with your head. Yeah, that, uh, it, whatever happened, it definitely works. You know, it definitely works for the scene. R.I.P. Rod, he, he goes down. They, they find him soon after he gets hung. And they take him down and basically pronounce him dead. And there, there it is. Any other news and notes on, on the death of Rod here? No. And then after that, we have Johnny Depp who plays Glenn Lance. This is my favorite, and I'll tell you why. So they go back to the whole revolving room deal, which is a cool effect in and of itself, but, you know, go back and, and you take a look at the scene, and it is engineered for a metric fuck ton of blood to come out of that uh, mattress. And they did that with water. Their fake blood, for this scene anyway, was mostly water. So very fluid, not so thick and syrupy and it comes gushing out of the mattress. There's only one problem. They didn't figure in the the physics behind throwing all that water onto a, the floor of a revolving room. 
and it caused the room to start rocking and it and ended up causing another revolution of the room turning everything that was upside down back to right side up it got into everything it got into all of the props in the scene it got into the lighting the electricity <laughs> it caused a blackout it ruined equipment and for this point in time in the movie making business this was the most amount of fake blood ever used for one scene and again we kind of laugh about it or at least i do because of where we're at in horror today in 2018 because let's face it no pun intended this is like a drop in the bucket so yeah i actually i think one of the cast member uh, one of the crew members got electrocuted he didn't die thankfully but he did get electrocuted he was, yeah he was a camera guy and he was stationed on the what would be the ceiling which is actually the floor and the water hit, and there you go. It immediately electrified all of the water because it broke the lighting. And, yeah, he did get electrocuted. He was okay. I mean, he didn't die or anything, but, yeah, he was officially electrocuted by fake blood. Put that on your resume. And and really quick, too, this was also the same room and, and rig used in Breaking 2 Electric Boogaloo. I, I thought that was pretty interesting to find out for those, <laughs> for those Breaking fans out there. So Johnny Depp's dead. What do you think? What do you think about this scene? I think it's an awesome scene. Um, very interesting thing about this scene too is a cut that they didn't use was that he had risen from the from that hole in the bed. Now it doesn't make any sense because he gets pulled in, so you think he just like basically he was there with Freddie and Freddie Freddie was like a blender with his claw and just shredded him up and that's you know, hence all the blood. But they did show and I I think it's like a deleted scene or a, a, another cut where Johnny Depp is rising from that hole, and he's covered in blood, and it looks creepy as fuck. Like, it's cool, but it doesn't make sense. I believe that is one of the only unrated versions of the death scenes that eventually got officially released, and it's on the Anchor Bay version of the Nightmare on Elm Street release. So uh, it is out there. It's on DVD only, because Anchor Bay doesn't do Blu-ray that I'm aware of at least for nightmare on elm street this scene happens to be my favorite because you uh, earlier we were talking about like what more could could you possibly see in someone getting killed and for me it goes back to that old like alfred hitchcock trick of where like your your mind your mind is is like your 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 worst enemy when it comes to stuff like this because you don't have to show a lot of of gore and horror for your mind to kind of fill in the pieces and as a kid watching this for the first time that scene was much scarier to me, not only because there was a, a, a bigger amount of blood, but because all you do is see him get sucked up into a hole. And so my mind, my imagination immediately took off, running wild, like, oh my God, what the hell did he do to him because of all that blood? So for me, that's why it's my favorite scene. It, it scared me the most as a kid for that reason. And then we have Ronnie Blakely, who plays March Thompson, which is Nancy's mom. She dies in this film. I know listening to a lot of the commentaries, you do have a sense of Ronnie Blakely kind of like marching to her own drummer. <laughs> Not only as a character in the movie, but also just on the set of the movie as well. Just like as, as a real person and not an actress. So she would, she would basically come up to Wes Craven or, or whomever and periodically ask them questions like, you know, is it okay if I do my hair this way? Or... Can I do this? And they'd be like, yeah, sure, go ahead. And so she kind of had her own ideas about her character, which I guess isn't a bad thing. I mean, she, she plays, I think she plays a, a successful 
mom in, in this movie and I agree. you know you know she does her role pretty well i mean she 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 knows how to be the troubled mom who's drinking too much and all that so what do you think about her death i don't really have too much to say about her death for me it's just kind of there because at this point when i'm a little kid I'm already scared the fuck out of my mind because Johnny Depp died. Well, I mean, what got me was I was scared because here comes uh, Freddie's arm. <laughs> but I mean, once you see him pull her through the window, it's pretty damn funny. Yeah, it, yeah. It, they they ended up using um, like a like a latex dummy, more or less, to pull through the window. Mm-hmm. And they they admittedly, you know, Robert Shea will will tell you on one of the commentaries. I think it's in the, in the legacy documentary. Yes, it is. Where he he talks about how silly it looks now, but at the time they thought it would work as as part of the ending. Uh, and which brings us to the ending of the well. Before we get to the ending, there's a technically this is a, supposed to be a death scene because obviously Freddy's supposed to die, but he doesn't. Uh, but during during the film, there there's a point in the movie where he gets set on fire and he's kind of like all over the place on fire just kind of trying to climb back up the stairs and, and what have you most the most notable noticeable thing about this scene is one of the stunt coordinators for the project has come out and said that this is kind of like an incredible feat because you're not supposed to let anyone burn that long when when you're doing stunts so whoever was doing the stunt did it way too long and they uh, actually did not get hurt any more than any other stuntman would. It went on for way too long. The burn happened for for much too long, much longer than it should have. It was all done in one take. For those of you who who aren't familiar, doing anything on a movie scene for in one take is it's it's a hard thing to accomplish. Let alone being on fire and and you know setting setting parts of the scene on fire in your path. You know making it that much more difficult. So I always thought that was pretty interesting information. To have an actual stuntman be like, this is fucked up because this is like, this shouldn't happen one and two. It was fucking incredible because they <laughs> did it in one take and no one got hurt. So I thought that was... But getting, uh, getting to the end of the movie, there were multiple endings that got shot because the crew could not really figure out how they wanted to end the movie. So you had kind of like a Wes Craven ending and then you had a Robert Shea ending. And then what we actually got as moviegoers is a combination of the two. So you have you have a car pull up, kids get in, it's a bright sunny day, they're all leaving for school, Nancy's mom's bidding them adieu, you know, saying goodbye so that they can go to school, they get in the car, and then the top comes up on the convertible that they're riding in, and it is red and green striped like Freddie's sweater, and before you know it, the windows start cl- going up, uh, and the kids don't want the windows rolled up, or the top up, and they start screaming for help, and we we eventually figure out, or you're led to believe, that Freddy's not dead, and the car drives off, and then you see him pull Nancy's mom through the, the front window of the door, of the front door of their house. So, Robert England came out and said that he feels the movie was one big precognitive nightmare of Nancy's where she dreams all of these things that happen in the movie. It only all really begins when she wakes up at the end of the movie. Like that's supposed to be the start of what actually happens in in what would be Nancy Thompson's real life. How do you feel about the ending? Would Did you like Robert Shea's ending better? 
Wes Craven's ending better or the ending that we got, which was a mixture. Of Probably because I've I've lived with this for so long. I'm happy with what we got. I understand both ends of the argument, you know, Robbers and the Wes's. I get that. I think it's uh, this is this is where I become that guy that nobody likes. I <laughs> I, I I hate it. I hate I hate the ending. It, it just it it kind of fell victim to what so many horror movies try to do, and that's kind of leave you with this sense of of hopelessness. And I don't think they accomplished that in this ending. Um, it leaves way too many questions for me. What you had was a, a a brilliant movie that ends on a really odd note that all these years, decades later, I'm still trying to figure out what's going on. And you could say, well, that's kind of the point. I would agree with you, but it doesn't make it good. I wouldn't have gone that route. Pick one or the other, in my opinion. It just, it, it, it almost seems as if the, the ending says, we really didn't know what we did there, so... And they didn't. Here they, you go. Yeah, they, they didn't. <laughs> so, I mean, obviously, we're not supposed to know that as, as moviegoers, but yeah, it, after all these years. How do you end this? How do you end this? It thing? has yeah. come out after all these years, like, hey, we really didn't know what to do, and this, we just kind of <laughs> combined the two, and that's what you got. And I think the only thing that saves that is what Robert England said. Yeah, yeah. Very, very true. That, you know what, though? I, I, I like that. I, I don't know how they would actually execute that on film per se, but I really like Robert England's answer, and I, I really thought that probably would have made a, a better, much less confusing ending to the movie. I wonder if he said that then to them, and they just didn't listen. Yeah, that I don't know. That would be interesting to find out. Maybe one day. At a because his answer, I, I agree, I, I, I read it, and is like, yes, this, like, do this, reshoot that. Yeah, like, <laughs> wait a minute, so Freddy's real now? <laughs> so he's not dead after all? Other than that mispainted door, are there any other last no- news and notes and tidbits you guys would like to share? If you're not, if you don't know what I mean, they actually changed the color of the door at one point in the movie. It went from blue to red, or red to blue. <laughs> and it wasn't just because of the, like, the dream sequence. Yeah. All right, I got to ask it. Now that we're we're kind of done picking apart this movie, let's talk about Nightmare. And, and I know, you know, going back to our conversation earlier in this podcast, you know, you're not supposed to remember your dreams. I get that. But you got any interesting stories about nightmares? It doesn't have to be about you. Just interesting nonetheless. I can't really... I, I couldn't tell you what my worst nightmare is. Um, obviously, just like every, just about everybody else, I've been chased, I've been attacked. Uh, I think I've even fought back, too. Uh, my girlfriend's even told me that there's times where I'm having such a bad nightmare that I'm clenching my fists. I don't know if I've ever punched the air or anything like that, but uh, that would be it for me. But, I mean, I've I've had really bad nightmares, but I, I really don't remember what caused that fear. I just remember waking up and being scared to hell. I kind of don't want to bring it up, but I'm going to bring it up. Uh, I, know, I know the two of you have a fear of arachnid. Have you had any arachnid-related dreams that you care to share? <laughs> I, yeah, actually, I do. So my my fear of spiders, and when I say fear, I, it's not that I, I find them creepy. I have a legit fear of them, and to the point where there's times where I I can't move when I when I'm in the presence of a spider. And I started going back to my my early years uh, of a child and being in my grandma's house. And, uh, you know, you see your typical spiders and you don't think nothing of it. But my, my first encounter with a, a spider was with the female black widow. If you're unfamiliar to what they look like, they are really big. For, the females are, are extremely big, large bodies with a 
red on their red hourglass. Yeah, red hourglass on their, on, belly. on their belly. Very dangerous spider, which I didn't even know that at the time. They're just beyond scary. I had my hand on a uh, handrail, and there was a spider, and it crawled on me, and its hind le- or its front legs popped up. It immediately, oh, yeah, immediately, my grandma who was there right by the stairs, she whacked her and like grabbed me pulled me upstairs and explained to me what the situation was and told me how dangerous they were. And when I found out that something so small could be so so dangerous to somebody as big as me, even though I was only a little kid, but still so much a giant compared to a spider, I mean, it changed my life forever. I don't blame my grandma. She was just being protective and saying, hey, don't don't mess with these things if you see one. Uh, it's good advice. <laughs> so yeah, my, that 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 fear kind of came came from that, and it was the first time that I I've ever seen arachnophobia, the movie. The seeing these these jumping spiders, <laughs> I I remember having I would I would have recurring dreams. And I haven't had this thankfully in a while. Though I probably will tonight. Shit. Have this dream, which is okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll survive hopefully. Uh, where. I, there's actually an episode of uh, the Grim, Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy. It was a, a, a TV movie where they were coming from the sewers and they were, they were pretty much taking over the world, almost like Planet of the Apes, but with spiders. Oh, God, yeah. And I would have a recurring dream. And by recur- re- recurring, I, I would say maybe once or twice a year. Really? And it would be pretty much like a dystopia of spiders. We lived in their world. <laughs> I... I I remember waking up in a, in a sweat one time when I had a, I had, I had, it was just me. I was, my dream was, I was just laying down. So I was pretty much dreaming about me sleeping, probably dreaming. And I woke up to a over the top spider crawling, coming down on top of me. By the time that I felt it's, uh, feet or whatever they would be called. That's when I woke up. This is embarrassing, but I'm going to admit to it anyways. I, it wasn't just sweat that was uh, wet in in my bed. I I literally had pissed my my bed because of the fear that I had. And I tell you what, when you have when you wake up like that, and I'm sure some of you out, many of you out there probably say that's nothing. That's fine. But when you wake up like that, you don't want to go to bed the next night. You don't. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm right there with you. I wouldn't have wanted to go. Uh, um, at least change where you're sleeping at. Oh yeah. Yeah, change, yeah definitely I mean? change, change the venue. Yeah. Location. I, I mean, go get a hotel. When when I see a spider in my domain, I literally run out of my domain and I can't go down in my domain for quite some time. Uh, I I have the downstairs to my to my house, and when I see one, I I can't I can't go back. So. That's that's what they mean to me. So when when you when we talked about the the safe haven, I don't remember a whole lot of my dreams. So I guess that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> I don't remember a whole lot of them. And so me sleep is is a yeah obviously to recharge the batteries like everybody else, but it's also a safe haven. So when that gets taken away from you, it's it, it's really hard to to let go of that. Very true. I happen to not be afraid of spiders, but I do have a story that will probably scare the shit out of you. Uh, growing up, I lived in an apartment above my cousin we lived in the same house there was just two apartments and uh one day his 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 mom's boyfriend came home with a tarantula like as a pet and so you know me and my cousin thought this was like the coolest fucking thing to have and then one day i would say like a month and a half later i could be wrong i'm sure he'll correct me once he hears this but 
we came home from school and my aunt and his kid sister were sitting outside their apartment because it had gotten loose and they could not find it. And so it ended up somewhere in the walls of the, the apartment. I eventually I moved out out of there and so did they uh, not because of the spider but uh, I don't think anyone had ever found that damn tarantula until they started to remodel it and this was way after I had left and come, uh, if I remember correctly we had heard through the grapevine through like former neighbors of ours one of the construction guys had found it it was still living in the wall <sighs> how big that bitch had to be it was, well I mean you're, you're staring at me right now for for those of you who are not familiar with me, I'm six foot eight, about 230 pounds. I've got a pretty sizable hand. It was slightly less than that when they found it. And he's got some meat hooks on him. Yeah. That's a big fucking spider. That's how dystopias are, are created. Yeah. Reproducing in those walls. <laughs> I blame you. Thanks. <laughs> Mr. Wrestling 6 can verify the following stories. When when we were working our, our 9 to 5 in the glory that is retail, I had come across three separate Black Widow spiders over the course of my time there. The first time it was actually babies. I was filling a, a display of fresh green grapes because I work with produce. I reached my hand into a case of green grapes and I was pulling them on the display nice and neat. And I saw these little translucent things all over my hand. And I didn't know what they were. I knew they were some sort of insect, obviously. But they were so translucent, I couldn't figure out what the fuck they were. Not long after that, I saw what Matt here saw. And that was a, a black widow with her front legs reared up, pretty much ready to strike. And so I got my hand out of there really quick. And I, I shrugged all the little babies off. My boss came over and immediately killed the thing. And killed whatever babies he could see. Because, again, they're so small and translucent. Uh, talking to someone later that day who knew a lot about the those kinds of spider. They told me I was pretty much lucky to walk away from the situation because had one of those children bit me, their venom is much more pure because of some hormone they already don't have after puberty. Uh, I would have pretty much died. That was the first time. Second time, uh, I was throwing away cardboard and one crawled out, out of our industrial cardboard baler and almost bit me. And that one I ended up taking home. Uh, I kept, I had for a few days, and then I sold it uh, to, to a, an unnamed pet store <laughs> <laughs> for a hefty profit. And, and then the third one, again, it was at work. It was in grapes. Uh, I think there were black grapes at that time. So it was a little harder to see, obviously. But yeah, she had the, she had the red hourglass. And uh, that one... That one got killed, too. This is why I eat junk food. I don't eat... <laughs> fuck all that. I mean, fuck. grapes and... Fuck grapes. Yeah, fuck that. Fuck grapes, eat chips. So, <laughs> so going... Staying with the with the topic yeah, yeah, of... Yeah, let's get, let's get back on topic. Of, of, of dreams here. My wife had, for a while, recurring nightmares. To this day, she doesn't know. What, what it was about, or at least claims to not know. I, I don't know. And it's it's been a long time since it's happened. But, uh, you know, you, you go back to the beginning of the uh, the first kill, Tina's, Tina's death. And I never had it to where I experienced it where I woke up to her having these, these shakes. Obviously, she's not on the walls being dragged around or anything like that. She's still in bed. Although, there was one time where she did have the shake so bad that she fell out of bed landing on the floor, waking up that way. But she would just have these terrifying nightmares that would result in, in heavy shakes, uh, screaming, crying. We have dogs. We're, we're big dog 
dog-loving family. And I would hear them, because my wife would usually go to bed before me. I'd usually stay up a few hours after she goes to bed. And I would hear the dogs just rustling around, and I'm getting pissed off hearing them. Like, what are you doing? Go to bed. Like, what, just lay down. And I come into the room, and I see this. And they're freaked out, and they don't know what to do. And I don't know what to do. And to the point where I've I just... I'd go into my wife and, and, and grabbed her by the head to kind of, like, just stop her. I've gotten punched a few times, which you know, doesn't bother me. She's sleeping. And it kind of happens when you mess with the people who are sleeping. But it was scary. It was scary that, to this day, I we still don't know why. Thankfully, they haven't happened. But it's one of those things, again, where Freddy will always stand the test of time for me because it's, 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 it's that safe place that is violated. I, I think that's when you can feel the most violated because... There's nothing you can do about it. And that's where he stands out. I'm not saying he's my favorite in comparison to, let's say, Michael or Jason. Because Michael holds a special place in my, in my heart. But the difference between those, between those two and Freddy is you can explain those two to an extent. You can't explain Freddy until it's essentially too late. And the same thing with, with her nightmares. I don't. I still don't have an explanation for it. I just hope they don't never. It doesn't ever happen again. But it's a possibility. And how do you how do you stop it from happening if you can't explain it? When that stuff has happened to her, she ever like sleepwalked or anything like that? She doesn't. No, she's never sleepwalked. Um, she's just gotten really. I mean, she's already a big toss and turner. Even though she would deny that, she just claims that I'm the toss. <laughs> I toss and turn. But it was it was just be more more rigorous movement than she usually does. Almost to the point, not necessarily having a seizure, but almost to the point where if you walked into the room and you saw under the covers, you would think she was having a seizure. Wow. Yeah, it was it was really just really intense shaking. And when she woke up. When she again, when she wakes up, she I was like, "Are you fighting somebody? Are you being chased by somebody? Are you fighting me? Anything? Like I give me some kind of answers. Maybe we can resolve this." And yeah, so I've not known to be sleep a, a sleepwalker, though I have. When it comes to me, I don't remember really any of my dreams, but there's 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 a lot of weird shit that I do that I can't explain. I've ended up on stairs, almost like uh, passed out drunk. Really? Uh, yeah, uh, pass out, uh, but uh, thankfully not hurt. So maybe I just kind of just walked down and said. Fuck it, this is where I'm sleeping at. I've, one time, one time, uh, my, my dogs have a nice little bed that they they don't like to sleep in. Um, so they like to sleep in my bed. I, I have woken up in their bed. In their bed? Yeah, so that that's happened before. I kind of envision like a little kid like laying underneath the Christmas tree the night after Christmas. Yeah. You know, with his toys and his whoopee and his onesies pajamas. That's how I kind of see you right now, Matt. Yeah, like I, I, I was just... Sitting there just uh, curled up with the dogs. Like, I was in the middle, too, which is weird how I got in there. But, yeah, uh, other than that, I'm, I'm a pretty boring sleeper. I don't I don't have many instances where, where I remember a whole lot, with exception of those unfortunate spider ones. My, my wife will, will have you paint a different picture of me because I don't often remember my dreams, which, again, is typical for most people. But uh, with her around and us on sometimes different sleep schedules, she has been privy to some of the the goings-ons of my mind as I have bad dreams. A lot of them, for her, are comical. Uh, not necessarily to me, because I'm the one going through them. But uh, it is through her that I'm, I'm able to live, live in, and tell these stories, because uh, she has laughed at me incessantly about some of the stuff. Like, uh, there was one where apparently I was having a conversation with her and I told her that we needed to hurry up and find the guy. And she's like, what guy are you talking about? And I was so distraught. I was like, we have to find this guy. And she's like, what did he do to you? And apparently we were at the movie theater and he stole 
my bucket of pop can basically like took off with it. Off with his head. And so yeah, I that's chased, fighting right there. Yeah, so I chased chased him and I couldn't find him because it was like there was an endless hallway. Once I got into the hallway, and I couldn't catch him. I couldn't catch him. And I, tr- I apparently I tried to enlist her help in in, in catching <laughs> this popcorn robber, and I couldn't. But it it made her laugh pretty fucking hard because she's sitting there having a conversation about trying to find this this guy who doesn't exist and also popcorn that doesn't exist so <laughs> uh, other than that I, I, I do have nightmares about uh, my my nine to five at, at points because uh, you know what mr. wrestling six will tell you we do work in a very toxic work environment at times most definitely so uh, you know, those two, I mean, if she were here, she'd be able to tell you, like, verbatim what was said and what had happened, but I, I couldn't even remember right now. But I know she's told me stories like, man, you were you were pretty bad last night, you were getting angry, or, you know, you were, you know, too distraught about work again. So, you know, that, that has happened from time to time. Other than that, I, I, I really couldn't tell you. I couldn't tell you. I know when I was a kid, I was, I was definitely afraid of the dark. Um, as, as an adult, I am afraid of clowns, uh, both of these guys know. Other than, like, your typical, like, clown chasing you and trying to kill you and or eat you, that, that's about it. I, I, went to, I went to go see the 2017 version of Stephen King's It with these guys, and uh, <laughs> I sat ne- next to Mr. Wrestling Sick. I'll tell you firsthand, I was freaked out of my mind so much to the point where apparently I was scooting back in the seat only we were sitting in the last row the top row and I couldn't go anywhere he couldn't get any he couldn't get into the wall yeah I tried to but I couldn't so yeah I've known this man let's see well we put it like this we've been friends since I was 19 we've been friends for 18 years and I've never seen you that scared in my life and there was times where I was like I was starting to kind of laugh because I like I, I couldn't believe it, and I've never known him to be scared about anything like that. I'm, I'm sure like he's the big man. I yeah, mean, I'm, don't get me wrong; he's human, but he's the big man. I'm I look su- up I'm, to I'm him. I'm sure it plays a little more comical too because of, of my stature. Like I'm not a small dude, so no, <laughs> you wouldn't necessarily expect me to be afraid of much. But yeah, clowns, clowns definitely get me. Yeah, I just, I, I just never seen you like that. So at first it was kind of funny, but then when I saw how it was fucking traumatizing, you know, I'm like, man, I gotta be a friend. I got, you know, I can't be <laughs> fucking with this guy. Um, probably the extent of it is like, you know, uh, where we have like a buddy chat, a, t- a text <laughs> chat thing that we all send stuff to each other, and uh, another one of our buddies like, we'll, we'll make uh, Pennywise quotes and stuff like that, and. We'll get a little fuck you guys, and you're just as bad as my wife type thing. <laughs> yeah, you know what? Now that I say it, I think she's a little worse, to be honest with you. Um, I know there was a thing on Facebook. Uh, this was a couple months ago. And it was one of those, like, you could rotate the picture 360 degrees. Mm-hmm. And so there's a room. It's a brightly lit room or whatever. It's like bright colored paint. And when you scroll the picture, she's telling me, and here I'm thinking she's just trying to scare me. And she wasn't. She was trying to warn me that there was a clown in the picture. And I thought she was trying to be funny. I'm like, oh, haha, whatever. And I keep scrolling, and I start to see, like, splatters of blood on the wall. And I'm like, I want to see what it is if it's not a clown. But sure shit, it was this big fucking murderous clown staring at you. 
And I I dropped my fucking phone. It was in the middle of the kitchen. It was during the daytime. And I fucking freaked out. And I was like, you're a fucking asshole, you know. I'm giving her the business up and down. And she's laughing. <laughs> she's like, I fucking tried to warn you. I'm like, I didn't take you seriously. I thought you were joking around me. Well, isn't, isn't fear just a, like, a, it's a really funny thing. Because on a future episode, I, I think we, we have to talk about my video game collection of some kind and because i'm a huge gaming collector not to brag but it's 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 in the 1200s now it's massive ladies <laughs> and gentlemen uh, and and i'm sure we're only looking at a, a portion of it as I, as I sit here in the i got a shit ton that i still gotta go through exactly. and organize <laughs> since we're talking about fears my biggest fear is all of those games falling on me and i can't get out of them <laughs> There's no way out. My biggest fear, like yeah. my biggest fear is I won't be able to go through all of them because I keep buying more. But going back to spiders, for me, it, with all those games, any game that I have to, I buy, I have to, I have to go online on forums and say, hey, uh, see, read if anybody says, are there any spiders in this game? And if so, where? I need to know. And, and this, this is how crazy it is. I, I, when I see one, I freeze. So when I look at clowns. I could always, I could be that guy. I'm like, what's the big deal? They're, they're just clowns. Like, it's it's not scary at all. But that's just what fear does to you. Like, it just, I, I can't explain. It. I'm no, I'm no doctor, no scientist. It's just, it just, it freezes you to the point where you just, you can't go on. Even a virtual spider, even, even uh, a, for example, a, a spider from a South Park video game, the Canadian barking spiders. It's it's a cartoonish, it's a cartoonish <laughs> spider, <laughs> named after a fart, and <laughs> and it just I I knew about it, and so I loaded up my characters to the point where we we killed it in, in one turn, so he didn't get a turn on us because it's a turn based RPG. That that's what my fear is. I had to make sure that I didn't get attacked by the spider because I would probably not be able to do it, especially sitting here by myself. Because usually I have to uh, call my wife and say, "Hey, I gotta fight a spider. Can you sit down with me so I don't, I don't freeze up? Because wow. I will probably freeze up." That's intense. It, it's it's the same thing for me and clowns. I, I, and you guys know the story. I'm pretty sure our listeners might not know the story, but uh, I actually got kicked out of Six Flags for punching a clown. <laughs> for me, it's all about getting away from them, and he wouldn't let me get away. He kept taunting me and. I felt like I had nowhere to go, so I cold cocked him. I knocked him out too, one punch, and then I got carted away by security as a thirteen-year-old boy. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, but he doesn't look like a boy at the time. No, no, I <laughs> how big he is. But, uh, yeah, so that was that was interesting, and it happened right after I got off of one of the water rides. Yeah, I cold cocked him. I got I got taken down to their their little security office, and then when no one would come to claim me because I was with the my, my best friend's family and him at the time they couldn't get a hold of anybody they were still in the park and so uh like well we can't we can't have you go around punching clowns and shit so uh, you have you have to wait outside the front gates and so i did i waited and, uh i couldn't remember where we parked so i had to basically peruse the entire parking lot until i found their van and uh you know came almost closing time and you know they're getting ready to leave the park they finally found me by the van like pretty much freezing my balls off because i was i wasn't completely damp at that time but all that fucking water man oh my god i was so fucking cold yeah i didn't have much fun that day <laughs> yeah fear fear is definitely a, a strange and funny thing such as the case too with nightmare and elm street you know you have that universal language of being afraid and being afraid of the boogeyman and 
and, and having nightmares. Man, I want to go back a few minutes. You talked about when your wife would have, like, she'd be shaking, like, almost like, almost like seizure. Yeah. Were her eyelids moving like she had, like, some serious REM going on, too? A little bit. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't, like, rapid or anything? No, it wasn't wasn't rapid. I, I would see a little bit of her face. She would she would have a little bit of... Uh, most of the time, she would have her face buried in a pillow. Okay. So I would try to, like, turn her a little bit and, and like, yell out her name and just try to, one, wake her up, obviously, and then two, just... Even if she wasn't going to wake up easily, it's, it's maybe... I don't even know if this works. I don't know how dreams work. But maybe my voice would reach into her subconscious and let her know, like, hey, I'm here. You know, whatever you're, whatever's going on, I'm here. It's going to be okay. But, yeah, it, it, it was it was, it was, was such a strange, strange time. It could be like her Glenn and pull her out. Yeah, exactly. I was just, I was, I'm sorry. I was just wondering about the eye thing because I've, I've seen my girlfriend do the eye thing. Yeah. Like intensely? Yeah. Yeah. Really? Wow. Uh, for you guys, what was what what is the creepiest aspect of Freddy Krueger? I'll go first here. Sure. Uh, uh, for for me, it's it's what I already, I already talked about. It's, it's the fact that is he real? You know, we talk about the boogeyman, and you mentioned we there's a mention of the boogeyman many times in uh, especially in the original Halloween. Uh, is Michael Myers the boogeyman? I don't know the, the exact definition of what the boogeyman is, and I don't think we're supposed to know for sure. But if the boogeyman was going to be going to have a face, going to have a, a logo, it'd be Freddy Krueger because he's quite literally the the thing that goes bump in the night. When you and I keep mentioning this, when you when you when you take away the the safe place, the safe haven of of sleep, and you attack somebody who is at their most vulnerable state. It, that just oozes everything that, to me, represents fear. You know, we can talk about the skin, the face, the glove. All that shit is is, is creepy beyond belief, but that kind of goes with the whole package deal. Because at the end of the day, you really can't defeat something that may or may not be real. Even if it's just a figment, even if Freddy Krueger is just a figment of your imagination, he's something that you hold on to, and that's something... That's the reason why we're talking about it all these years later. We're talking about something that... I'm talking about something that came out six, seven years, five years before I was born. Uh, so, yeah, five years. It holds... the moment From the day, from the first time that you see it, you hold on to it. Because it's, it's such a intriguing character because it's never been done before. And it hasn't been done since. And in the way that it's the true epitome of all hope is lost. When you can't even take time to to rest, to let's say fight a boogeyman because the boogeyman's fighting you while you're trying to get that rest. It's that that all. It's just that sense of purpose of what I think every horror movie should have, and it's the perfect example of that of what all hope is lost really means. I totally agree with that stuff, and I, I would say, you know, besides the obvious stuff that like you know, the glove, his burned skin, you know, even the sweater. We're looking at the menu screen right now for the Blu-ray, okay? And that silhouette is scary as shit. Actually, oh, yeah. I think I want to get that tattoo. I want to get a Freddy tattoo, but, I mean, like, I think to have that silhouette would mean more. And, I mean, think about even, like, watching not just the, the first movie here, but in, in the other, in, in, in the sequels, too, where you see, like, the long hallway, and you know Freddy's coming, but then you, you see the shadow, the silhouette. Fuck! To me, that's just as scary as seeing his burnt skin. 
For me, the creepiest aspect of him is his unpredictability. You're watching the movie, and again, with, with a Jason Voorhees or a Michael Myers, you know, no disrespect to either of those, but you kind of knew what you were getting. You no, know, he wasn't able to change shape or shape shift or anything like that. They, they're just relentless in their pursuit of you, and they're there to kill you, and you know, more or less, you're either going to die by use of a weapon or by their hand, for the most part. Yeah. With Freddy Krueger, you don't have that. You know, yes, he has the claw, the claw glove. Yes, he has burnt skin and, you know, sharp teeth, but you just didn't know where he was coming from or what he would do to you. So that, that level of unpredictability for me, like, scared the shit out of me as a child. And, and to this day, it still creeps me out. Yeah, he changed the realm that you're in. Yeah. yeah. Hence Again, the stairs, you know. Yeah, the stairs were, you know, they used uh, Bisquick. They let Bisquick sit for, like, a couple like, hours. Like, yeah. And to where it was, like, super gummy and, like, quicksand-like. And so that when they were climbing up the stairs, that effect, you know, he was melting the stairs. And, you know, they were sinking into the stairs. I wonder if it had, like, a faint pancake smell. Because I do love that smell. I, I, <laughs> a pancake it batter. Probably, I love yeah, that smell. Yeah. But, um, yeah, for me, it's the unpre- unpredictability of him. You know, you see him when he's on screen. You know, you see his silhouette. You know he's coming. Doesn't mean he's going to come from that spot. Absolutely. You know, his, his arms extend. For no real reason other than to scare the piss out of you, you know? And changes his form, too. Yeah, he changes his form. He cuts himself open. Me and Mr. Wrestling 6 were talking about this earlier, too, uh, before we started recording. But he cuts himself open, and everybody, would, I'm assuming, would expect that the blood is going to be red of some sort, but it's fucking neon green. And, that man, talk about off-putting. Like, what the hell? What am I looking at? <laughs> so... Yeah, for me, it's it's the unpredictability of uh, of this this particular boogeyman. Yeah, he's he's the ultimate killer in the sense that obviously he, he's brutal in his kills, but he just fucks with you before he does it. He enjoys the foreplay. It, it, I yeah, guess, you know? it's that's 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 another thing that's so haunting to me is he likes it too much, <laughs> way too much. It's great TV, it's a great movie, but if you're if you're living that or if you are experience it in in a very uh you know dark setting it's it's very unsettling at times robert england said in an interview he feels that at some point during the franchise's run you have a lot of the fan base the fan base he feels kind of accepts the relationship that he has with nancy as batman and the joker uh i don't i don't know about that but it's it's to the point between them two where he thinks a lot of people would like to see them like be intimate on oh. some level, but also not intimate, like to where they're just, it's just like like almost like never ending sadistic foreplay. It's it's an interesting theory. I don't know how I feel about that, but it there there is something. There's got to be something to that because you, there's a lot of that throughout the rest of the movies where. When she's involved, it's like he toys with her, mm-hmm. almost like a like a cat and mouse. Where I mean, he's had every ample opportunity to do things to her and with her, 
for some reason. It just doesn't always pan out. Final thoughts, gentlemen, on the original Nightmare on Elm Street from 1984. It is the movie that changed my life. You said, really quick, I almost forgot, you told me that before watching this movie, the only other horror movie or horror-esque movie that you saw at the time was Jaws. Absolutely. We were talking about a, a little, little uh, quote from who I don't remember, but they said, Freddy Krueger is to dreams... What Jaws is to swimmers. What Jaws is to swimmers. Uh, that's that's pretty accurate in my book. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah I agree. Yeah, I, I, I can tell you one thing. Uh, after watching this movie for the first time, I definitely had a hard time sleeping for, for quite some time. It definitely had a profound effect on me. Again, I was like between 8 and 10 years old, but by then I had already watched quite a bit of horror movies. Mm. And it still had that kind of effect on me. And again, this was before, you know, the real-life incident with the razor claw. Yeah, uh, definitely one of my favorites. That's why I'm, I'm here talking with you guys about it. I would have to say the reason that it changed my life, it was a lot of it because I've you guys have heard the story so many times that I'm going to share it again anyway. And I do love telling it. Um, my Uncle Ed has been very influential in my life. Like, I'm a huge metalhead. I love know. that, man. Yes. Fucking cool as fuck, man. He'll make you think, man. He'll... He'll make you laugh. He'll make you think. That's an understatement. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, teach you a lot of things. One night after I had uh, Little League baseball practice or a game or something, he, he came out, and then he came over for dinner. We had pizza, and him and my dad had a few beers. And My dad and my Uncle Ed were talking about the movie, and this is where I learned out about the Tina scene. And he's like, yeah, man, he had that bitch on the ceiling and everything. And I'm just like, <laughs> I'm listening to him talking. Like, my eyes are starting to pop, and I just yell across the table. And I'm like, Mom, can we go rent this movie? And she's like, no, no, you're not watching that. And then I'm like, Dad, Dad, can we go see it? And he's just like, kind of like relaxed, like, you know, gave me a wink. Like, we'll, we'll rent it sometime when Mom's not around type of thing, right? So the next couple times we go to the video store, nothing happens. Well, it just so happens some months later that... Uh, Uncle Ed's going to babysit me and my brother. And after that, we had a family birthday party that he was taking us to. So at this time, I'm seven or eight years old. My brother's four or five. Okay. And it's daytime. He's like, hey, you guys want to see that movie? He's like, I'm going to close the drapes. And he put his lava lamps on. Just, you know, that lava lamp thing, that was new to me. I'd never seen a lava lamp, you know. It was cool. And we're like, yeah, yeah, can we watch it? And he had on VHS. Don't get me wrong, it scared the shit out of us, but it blew my mind, and I loved it. Like, yeah, it scared me, but I was so interested, and I just, I wanted more of this type of stuff, and it, uh, you know, obviously, <laughs> you go to Jason and uh, Michael after that, uh, Leatherface. I mean, I know not all those came out in that, that right order and everything, but for me, Freddy was the uh, the gateway. Changed my life for the best. I mean, I just, I, I, I loved this. Well, probably probably Nightmare on Elm Street, like Jaws, E.T., and the Star Wars movies were like probably my favorite movies like ever. And I really can't put that in an order, but I mean, as far as Nightmare on Elm Street goes with horror, yeah, man, this is uh, this is what got me into it, and I wanted more of this. And it, you know, I love uh, Michael and Jason, but to me, nobody just does it like Freddy, just because of all the things we just kind of explained. Like you know, he changes the realm and he messes with you and psychologically fucks with you and you know not only when you're uh <laughs> when you're dreaming but you know because you keep thinking about it, he's with you when you're awake too i think that's the most i can say about that but uh <laughs> thanks for letting me tell that story again but <laughs> yeah uh near and dear to me freddy is my favorite movie monster my glove's one of my favorite price possessions what's your favorite piece of merch besides the glove besides the glove i have a lot i don't have everything i want 
Um, but I do have a pair of Nike Freddy Krueger shoes. Those are some of the coolest fucking shoes I've I seen. love those shoes. <laughs> love them. That, tons of action figures. Um, you know, I got the 18-inch Movie Maniac. Got the original Movie Maniac with the blood with splatter the blood. on him. Shouts out to Todd McFarlane. Yeah, thanks, Todd. And then, you know, I even got, got you know, because I think uh, some years later he, he did Freddy again. Yeah. You know, a little, little bit different, but... Uh, Actually, I think it was it was the same pose. It was a, it was the same look as the 18 inch figure was, if I'm not mistaken. I'm pretty sure. But I got I got a bunch of other like figures, and I think I think they're from Mecca. Uh, there's the one with with Nancy's in the bathtub and the claws coming up. It's another favorite one from that too. I think I have the one where she's in the bed and he's coming through the wall. One that I don't have that I really would like to have, and it's kind of silly, but I still I think it's cool because I've seen it at a couple cons. Is the one from Part Five. Where he's feeding the model all that food. Oh, that's right. <laughs> the Bon Appetit bitch yeah. one, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was always a cool one for me that I that I've always wanted to get. And there's countless other ones. I want to. Oh, you know what? There is another one too uh, from Part Three with a, a drug addict. Was it uh, Tyrene? To Taryn, I think was her name. Yeah, she's. Remember, and his claws are the are, are the needles. He's like, you know, come on, let's get high and all this shit. And she's got the little. Uh, yeah. The track marks track are marks opening up. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> I have to get a new sweater. The sweater that I had doesn't fit. I'm uh, gained a little bit of weight since then. Yeah. I, I've never had a hat unless it came like part of a costume, but then it was like a styrofoam yeah. piece of shit. Yeah. But oh, dude, I can go on forever about Freddy. You know, I got posters and T-shirts. Can never have enough T-shirts in my book. So. What about you, Matt? As far as uh, Nightmare on Elm Street goes, again by this by this point, by the time I saw it, it. I had already had my feet wet with horror. Uh, believe it or not, the same grandma who was a very old-school, God-fearing woman uh, got me into horror. Ironic enough, she she loves horror. So it was one of those things, don't tell your mother what we're doing. <laughs> and so I, you know, I got introduced to, to horror at a very young age, and I saw... You know, I, 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 I saw the I saw Halloween, uh, the original at that point. I've seen, again, the first three... Friday the 13th, as well as other stuff, too. She was really much into a lot of uh, supernatural stuff. So, you know, we, we'd we watch stuff like, obviously, Exorcist, uh, The Exorcist or Serpent in the Rainbow. She was one oh, of her favorites. Yeah, stuff like that. So, you know, when we watched Nightmare on Elm Street, she's not really into a whole lot of slashers. But it was, she's like, this movie's got a lot of buzz. She's like, at the time, she hasn't seen it yet. She's like, let's check it out together. And she was disgusted. I was just completely on, on cloud nine. While at the same time, it, it was probably, out of all those movies, and I'm one of the few that I know that never found The Exorcist scary, though I do love it. Is It's one of my all-time favorite movies. I never was terrified by it. Yeah, you are one of the few. <laughs> yeah. When it comes to, to Freddy, he was one of the first... Actually, he was the first, as far as the the monsters, to scare to scare me. Uh, Halloween scared me for many different reasons, and it really it wasn't say that Michael wasn't scary, but that wasn't the reason why what terrified me. But Freddy was a whole other league of his own. Uh, just everything about him that we've already talked about. I'd be beating at a dead horse at this point if I had to mention it again. But everything we talked about in this episode just it, it stuck with me throughout really my entire life. Just that character alone, again, we talked about, Mr. Wrestling 6 talked about the, the silhouette here that is on the uh, the Blu-ray 
uh, home screen. If you could pull off a silhouette, right, you're you're pretty much a badass. And just him alone, that that the way that he stands there and the way that he his presence is, that to me, that is justification to the type of iconic character that he has become and still is thirty plus years later. So. Uh, there's a reason why he has to test time. There's a reason why he's numero uno for this podcast. Just because he is he's one of those ultimate characters that he epitomizes what fear truly is. Because again, he he's a symbol of what you can't defeat. You can't kill what you can't prove to be real. And that's essentially what Freddy Krueger is to me. He's the ultimate, all hope is gone. And that's what horror is supposed to be. And that, he knows it too with that shit-eating grin of his. Yeah. Especially the one on, on the lunchbox over there on, on your shelf. Yeah. What other what other merch do you have besides that lunchbox? You know what? I, it's it's not as not as fun as Mr. Wrestling 6 over here. No. I have a lunchbox too. <laughs> he's, got this, he's got that same lunchbox. I th- yeah, same lunchbox, right? Yep. Yeah. I've got a couple figures from uh, some horror boxes. I got subscription boxes, really small ones though. When it comes to uh, figures, I I never really jumped in on on that bandwagon. Not because I don't want them, but because I spent all my money on on video games. So he is a very big gamer. Guy. <laughs> I had to I had to pick my battles when it comes to that. Do you, do you have the video game? I do not. No, um, but I will. I'm sure you will. Yeah, someday. <laughs> I when it comes to the horror ones, I, I have I have pretty much all of them. I, uh, the ones I am missing are the two Atari ones, if you're not familiar, uh, Halloween and uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and I do not have the Nightmare on Elm Street NES, though I have played the ROM and beaten the game many times, but uh, it will be mine someday. <laughs> uh, I, I also don't own a lot of uh, Freddie Merck. Uh, I, I do have the, the box set that came out in 1999 on DVD. I definitely have that. I, I would suffice it to say that's probably it. Yeah, I try not to collect action figures and, and toys and stuff like that because for me, I would want all, especially things that I consider favorite to my fandom. So for me, uh, th- that's going forward in these episodes that that will always be part of my fandom is really concentrate on only like certain kinds of stuff of of things that I'm fan of so but yeah I, I try not to I try not to do action figures and yeah, pop vinyls are, are starting to get the best of me they've already consumed my life yeah. <laughs> by the way they, they pop uh, Funko just announced uh, Freddy Krueger cereal yeah, yeah. If, if you guys haven't seen it there there's definitely Freddy Krueger cereal which should be on the shelves uh, when this airs make sure you go go to your local collectible uh, establishment and pick yourself up a box if you can find them, because I'm sure they're going to be pretty sought after. Buy me a box too if you can. <laughs> You'll be lucky if you could pay nine dollars for it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's supposed to be up there in price. Me personally, I don't I don't know that I would sit there and collect the cereal, but major things have happened. <laughs> Are gonna, I don't think I ever told you this story. Okay. I had folders, school folders with Freddy on them. Oh, shit. That's right. They did have school supplies. There was only two different kinds. There was one where, like, he... <laughs> they would have pictures of him, and it's actually on the box set, too, where, like, 
he had the long trench coat even though he wore it in New Nightmare. But like previous to that, they would show him in this fucking trench coat. It was part of the TV show. It was part of New Nightmare? I believe so. Yeah, it wasn't like a, a all the time thing. But yeah, yeah, there was one where it was a pose where he's kind of like this, or the gloves like that, or something like that. But then there was another one where it was like you you would guess it's like a boiler room and like there's like doll heads and like just garbage and debris and shit like that. And he's in the middle of it all. It was one for the teachers. It says let's something like hey teacher something something addressing to the teacher. Let's do lunch. And then it says Freddy on it. I remember my last day of. Uh, it was either fourth or fifth grade because I had this. We had this teacher that we were all afraid of, Mrs. Finnerup. <laughs> and the reason we were afraid of her ever since kindergarten, you would hear her yell down the hall. Oh, okay. Very intimidating voice. She, you know, pumped us up for junior high because you know, grade school you get babied, blah blah blah. Well, anyway, had Mrs. Finnerup. You know, she scares the shit out of you probably for the first couple weeks, and then after a while it's no big deal. Um, but. So the end of like fourth or fifth grade, because I had it for two years in a row, I took the folder and I cut just the front part out of the Freddy Let's Do Lunch. And when she left the room at one point, I went in her drawer and I stuck it in the drawer and then I walked off and that was it. 